2: Follow the Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at TrinitySchool.org. That's TrinitySchool.org. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zaren.
1: Yo, Dave. What is up, my man?
0: Zaren, do you know what's ridiculous?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that. Did you know that sharks are older than the Atlantic Ocean? How could that be? Now, that doesn't make any sense. Because there was oceans, right? And Pangea was a big supercontinent. And then when the continent broke apart, sharks already existed. They existed before there was an Atlantic Ocean.
3: Oh, Do yeah. You want something
1: that's crazier? Sharks okay. are, are older than the rings of Saturn. What? Yes. You want to know something even crazier? I would be into it. Sharks are older than the, are than, older than the North Star, Polaris. Sharks are really old, huh? Right, exactly. I mean, like I knew like they're older than trees, but they're older than the North Star. That blew my mind. When I heard someone reference that, I was like, that can't be right. I looked it up. It's totally right. And not only that, they're older than the rings of Saturn too. I was like, when did we get the rings of Saturn? What the hell? I thought that was like, it kind of came with the planet. No, it was only
3: a little while ago. That is ridiculous, Aaron. Yes. So there you go. That's also, all I got for you. in that same vein, uh, it's believed that Dolphins had legs, ridiculous, right?
1: Yes, have you ever seen them in the in utero, pigs, dolphins, and humans almost look identical in in the in in the womb, so like, a, like if you t- go like up to like you know, like I forget what month it or you know what trimester like it's somewhere, somewhere in the second trimester, but like around like eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks, eleven weeks, well, like you know, in the first trimester, totally identical, and then somewhere in the second trimester, they diverge enough you're like, oh, that's a pig, that's not a person. Totally oh, that's wild. a dolphin.
3: Yeah, totally. But they have hair if they have finger nubs, the whole bit. Huh. No wonder that uh, those researchers in the 70s got so into them that uh, they decided to, you know, form a relationship with a dolphin. Yes,
1: yeah, one of these uh, ones that nature doesn't smile upon.
3: <laughs> that's right. Well, I'll give you that. Sharks being older than everything is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> right? But do you know what else is ridiculous? No, I'm here for it, though. Going from running the franchising operation of one of the most iconic clothing brands of the 80s to rigging the second biggest sporting event in the world. Wait, what? Mm. This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It is always 99% murder-free, and it is always 100% ridiculous. You damn right. Saren, do you notice anything different about me? You're not Elizabeth? Yeah, you know, like I got a haircut, and I'm, I'm holding a healthy-sized oh, 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 white goose. specifically about you. Yes, no, I mean, yes, you're white goose, the haircut. Yeah, you look fantastic. Nor- yeah, it's not yeah. normal either. Okay, so truth be told, I did want to draw your attention to the fact that I, in fact, am not Elizabeth Dutton. But I did spend the last week doing all the things I could find in body switching movies to try to make this happen. <laughs> See that nice. glass box you're leaning against? <laughs> yes, that's a Zoltar machine. Whoa! How'd you no get that into headquarters? That's nuts. Didn't work. I tried to get a fortune chain net. No, nothing. Okay. So then, like I'm rummaging around my neighbor's trash, and I found this mysterious skull-looking thing. You know. Mm-hmm. And I put it on and I thought a lot about Judge Reinhold, Rest in Power King. <laughs> also unsuccessful. Didn't, nothing happened. So finally, Zaren, I was okay. getting pretty frustrated, but I had one more idea. All right. Lay it on me. I got a Don Knotts mask, which wasn't easy to find. <laughs> I bet not. Then I hit my head so hard that I went into concussion protocol. Okay. And then I jumped into a lake while chanting, I wish, I wish, I wish I were a fish. <laughs> Now, that didn't turn me into Elizabeth. It did turn me into a limpet, but that was no good. So I had to fight fight my way out back to that. So being an animated fish, how long did that last for you? It was heaven. Nobody bothered me. I could read. (laughs) I could smoke my pipe under there. Oh, it was so good. All right. Truth be told, Elizabeth Mm -hmm. got called away on a case and asked me to put on her ceremonial purple wig. Don her wiener straw and her Crocs. <laughs> Perfect. You look amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. So if you and the rude dudes will indulge me, here we go. All right, please. So we've gone through a lot of criminal origin stories in the last year and a half or so, wouldn't you say? Oh, completely. Yeah. It's our thing. There, and there are like, there are lots of different patterns. You're probably thinking patterns, Dave. Yeah. Patterns, Dave. What kind of patterns have you noticed? Great question. Yeah. You know, like patterns of how our protagonists found themselves as crime doers. Totally. At the risk of being overly reductivist, I would love for us to catalog these one day. It's, mm-hmm. it's just human, right? Like, our brains are built for pattern matching. Totally. And we do a lot of this work. We could at least do the groundwork of cataloging it all. Exactly. It would be a, be a service to society. Yeah. Now, I won't go in too far to that today because it would take a lot more precision and diligence. And frankly, I'm lazy and I'm imprecise. <laughs> okay. I'm more of a Pisces, Saren. But you know yourself, which is the most important. That's right. So, But here are a few. Like, one, we've talked about people who had rough upbringings and irresponsible parents who Mm -hmm. taught them at an early age to do whatever they can to survive. And they Mm -hmm. took that and ran with it, and they became criminals, right? Totally. Completely. Second group, we've had people who get into a pickle. Maybe it's money trouble. Mm -hmm. And then some kind of illegal behavior turns out to be the most direct path out of there.
1: Yes. Yes. Often doesn't work if
3: they're on this show. Right. And then Mm. there's another category. This is people who try the straight life. They go to school. They get their first job. Maybe they get another job. Something like that. And then when they're faced with what that looks like, they peer down that long tunnel and they shake their heads in disgust. Nah, not for me. Too (laughs) this, too that. Too boring. Too much work. Yes, definitely. We have a lot of them. Now, I don't begrudge anyone their choices across all these categories, but purely in terms of their entertainment value, I think you're like me. I really like that third category. Yes, yes, I do too. And maybe it's you know maybe it's because it's so different for me and yet I totally get it. And as an adult, sure I've had those kind of fantasies. Yeah, the outlaw fantasy. Yeah, and I you know there's kind of a big piece of this in like Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club or at least the movie version. Yes. Yeah, 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 totally. Even also in the book version, I, re- I read it. It's it's there. Okay, so the person I came to talk to you about, his name is Flavio Briatore. Ooh, I like that name. He belongs in that third number. He is now a mega, mega rich playboy, but he didn't start out that way. Okay. So let me tell you about Flavio. He was born in 1950 in a small town in Italy called Verzuolo. Uh, okay, Verzuolo. This is in the Piedmont region in the foothills of the Alps just south of Turin or Torino. Okay, okay. So like far north Italy. I had about uh, four years of high school Italian and like two, two and a half years of college Italian. So get used to a lot of obnoxious Italian pronunciations. It's, it's oh, going to start coming. I love it. People, it'll make up for all my terrible pronunciations. It's so much fun. Um, so, so Flavia's parents, they were elementary school teachers, but he failed out of public high school twice and finally <laughs> just barely passed in a private school. Okay. He said he just didn't care much about school and he looked for the easiest classes to get by, And even much later, he told interviewers that he had zero interest in reading books. Quote, first I'll do the Italian. Uh, Non mi piace e non ho tempo. So, I don't like it and I don't have time. As in, (laughs) he's literally never read a book in his life. (laughs) It's like Al Michael's never eating a vegetable. (laughs) That's right. And as he says from a very early age, he knew he was meant for this different path. I can't help but love the way this guy talks, and all the more so to the Italian ear, but -hmm. it holds up pretty well in translation, too. Here's another quote. If you were born in the middle of the Congo, you will not say that you have been lucky. I was not born in the Congo, but in those mountains as a child, I felt a certain malaise. I felt that I was one without roots. When asked what I wanted to do when I was older, if the fireman, the lawyer, or the notary, I replied that I wanted to get out of there, first of all, from those roughnesses, from those labors, from those sacrifices. And you can hear him saying, like, not for me, no thanks, too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do work, per se. Yeah, I'm against this whole labor thing. <laughs> he wanted lots and lots of money, not the paltry rewards that come from hard work and giving of yourself. Of course. Get, Zarin, can you feel him on this? Oh, I, I mean, I'm relating deeply. I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I feel you. I also want to <laughs> roll downhill. <laughs> so he falls into a series of starter jobs. Okay. Uh, one is a ski instructor, one is a restaurant manager. He opens up his own restaurant. He called it... Uh, th- and this is this weird uh, dialect, so I'm I'm probably going to murder this one. Uh, it's got an umlaut in it. It's like Tribula, T-R-I-B-U-L-A, with an umlaut. Ah, umlaid. yeah, like we're we're German and Italian meat
1: in Northern Italy, yeah, like yeah. Alsatian, or
3: yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so and, and uh, I found a couple of translations for it: either someone who never sits still and gets into everywhere, or someone who will do whatever it takes to get what he wants. Okay, these both fit for him. So yeah. I could and, see. And that ends up being his nickname. That's what like what he's known as early in life. Um, Tribula, the restaurant, didn't last long. He racked up too much debt, and it folded. Okay. So next up, he got a job as an insurance salesman. And, and he actually, relatively speaking, made a bunch of money doing that. As an insurance salesman? Yeah, yeah. It, wow. Enough to buy his first car, which was a Fiat 600. Okay. Um, but, you know, he found that that, too, was too much work, so it was yeah. on to the next. <laughs> okay. Here's how he described it, Aaron. Uh Quote. Everybody in Italy was selling insurance. It was an easy way to make money. You didn't need any background. You just had to talk nice. And I was fantastic at that. The company wanted to keep me because I was considered one of the best, but I just felt it was not my job. So he's somebody who's charming. He gets
1: people to buy into him. They like him. And he's like, you should give me some of your money and I'll give you this thing. It works great. They're like, oh, I love this guy. I'm going to do it. And he's like, I could take this bigger than this. Like this this is insurance is too small for my talents.
3: Yeah, he realized he could be selling grit subscriptions. He could be selling cocaine. It didn't really matter. People are going to buy whatever it is he puts in front. Exactly. of Exactly. And and to his credit, you know, um, you know, you'll see some pictures on Instagram, and I'll share some after this. Like he is a handsome son of a gun. He's got that oh. flowing Italian hair. Oh wow! Yeah, that helps always. And like it starts black, and then over time it becomes like salt and pepper, like mm-hmm. that cool Italian gray. Yeah, he looks like he could be in maybe an F one driver. Maybe he's oh, totally like, okay. So he skips the, the insurance job. He's done with that. He takes his talents to Cuneo, which is the biggest city near him and capital of the region. Okay, yeah, familiar. You know, he goes knocking on doors. He finds a job at the Paramatti Vernici Paint Company. Okay. His job there is the assistant to the owner, this guy named Attilio Dutto. Not, like, right. not like Dutton without the N. Huh, okay, word. Needless to say, this is probably Flavio's first real brush with what we in the import export business call professionals. Ah, nice. The previous owner of this paint company, a cat named Michele Sindona, he was a friend of ours, as they say, right? Though not a friend of mine because I'm not in the biz. Yes, I know. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Like it's it's when you say the Cosa Nostra is our thing and you are a friend of
3: ours. That's the same group. Exactly. So this guy's business, Michele Sindona, former owner of the paint company, was laundering money for the Gambino crime family. Yes. They make a lot of shows up in our in, our, in this show. <laughs> they really do. They're like the thread that weaves through the whole thing. <laughs> Sindona was unfortunately convicted and sentenced for life for, quote, contracting the assassination of the lawyer appointed to liquidate his failed Italian banks. Ooh. <laughs> He's sent to prison. He dies of cyanide poisoning, which, you know, probably, is Aaron. that's just a strange coincidence, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that happens often in prison. You're like, oh, I mean, are you— there's cyanide everywhere in prison. Yeah. I mean, it's, everybody knows if you want to buy free cyanide, you know, cheap cyanide, you go to someone in prison, you go, how much is it for the boys?
3: Yeah, that's right. Like, do you want that? You want some pruno with it? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
3: So in another strange coincidence, in 1979, Flavio's boss and, that, and the new owner of the paint company, uh-huh. Attilio Duto, mm-hmm. he gets assassinated in a car bombing, Aaron. What? And I've- no one knows who did it. No one has any clue what criminal organization active in the 1970s in Italy and abroad would have done such a thing.
1: Now, Just a mystery.
3: Yeah, I mean, who? you know, they couldn't even pull up a suspects together because there's yeah. just, you know, we're starting from square one. We got nothing, boss. Yeah, could be a, just a bad engine. Who knows? That's right. Now, since Flavio had nothing to did do they, with did this. Did they ask anyone, is this a
1: British car? Because maybe <laughs> it's right. the... Maybe it's a Jaguar. Yeah,
3: exactly. Uh... Now, since Flavio had nothing to do with this, I don't think we need to count it as a 1%. This is just kind of a thing yeah, that happened out in the world, right?
1: Totally. Just loosely connected. It just happened to happen
3: near. So, at any rate, after Duto dies, uh, the paint company collapses and files for bankruptcy. And when the courts open the books, sure enough, things look dirtier than a white T-shirt after three bowls of mom's spaghetti and a Detroit hip-hop cypher. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who's left holding the bag? Flavio Briatore. Oh, Flavio. His fingertips are all over the cookbooks. Mm-hmm. So he catches a fraudulent bankruptcy charge. And I'll say, you know, so this was his first brush with professionals. It's also like the first waypoint in the escalating criminal career of Flavio Briatore. So
1: yeah, He's graduating pretty quick.
3: Yeah, he's, I mean, he's like, all right, I got my ski instructor badge done. I got my restaurant badge. Now I got my bankruptcy badge
1: yeah in italy the ski instructor is like the american lifeguard it's just like something (laughs) handsome men do for a living when they're young it's like you know being like a a, like whatever like a water boat or water ski instructor in the caribbean or you know it's like something you find handsome people doing you're like okay of course and he's like oh how do i make this pay i'll go be a restaurant manager i'm italian and then he's like oh how do i go get into business then he finds himself attached to all this my question is where else can he go from here dave
3: it keeps going up. Let me tell you, it keeps coming up. So while the charges are brewing, he moves to Milan, the big city, right? To of work course. on a stock exchange. He's like, yes. so I've got the gift of gab. Uh, I, I don't know. I want to work register, so I want to go to the stock exchange. Yeah, I mean, that's the big money town. Now, in Milan, he crosses paths with a guy whose name you may recognize. Hmm. Ricardo Lisportzak. No, no, oh. no. Luciano Benetton. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> a little bit of History. Uh, Benetton, the clothing brand was founded in 1965, but it didn't really become a worldwide phenomenon until the eighties.
1: Yeah. And I honestly did not know that there was a guy named Benetton. I always assumed it was like Haagen-Dazs is
3: just a made up name. Yeah. Yeah. Sure enough. He's been, you know, he's been at it for years and years and finally it hits in the eighties. Yeah. Huh. Uh, so as of 1979, Benetton had opened five stores in the U S okay. He sees Flavio. He's like, I like the cut of your jib. He makes Flavio the head of U S operations and franchising in 1982. Okay. Nice come up. So yeah. while he's in, in Milan, he's got that going. He's got the sock exchange. He also gets to his own criming. Flavio picks up a side gig as a card player. Zarin, did you know that Flavio Briatore is one of the greatest poker players of all time? No, I've never even heard his name in the in the poker community. Not that I'm a big member of the poker community, but still... That's because it's not true. <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> no, the, Zarin, the kind of card playing Flavio excelled in involved lies, a team uh-huh. of accomplices, elaborate schemes, and probably muscle and guns. Ah, okay, that kind of card playing. Yeah, so his accomplices included, number one, a real count who provided his villa as a location. Oh, smart. A lawyer and his wife who had lots of social connections, that's where the marks come from. Okay, good. A fake marquee who was actually a very skilled card player. Okay. TV journalist for credibility. Huh, smart. And finally, you've got, you've got Flavio, who's something of a front-of-the-house guy slash producer. He made sure the events were very opulent. Lots uh-huh. of waiters, Rolls Royces, beautiful mm. women, et cetera. Totally. So here's how it went down. The team of heavy hitters would identify a rich person to target, invite them to an exclusive dinner party where they were told there may be very good business deals available, as well as very good connections to make. Okay. To the marks, it looked pretty legit, right? Oh, yeah. look at that! There's a count. There's a marquee. There's like a TV journalist I recognize. Totally. And, and sometimes uh, a, a guest who was quote an Egyptian general. I wonder if that's like Gaddafi.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I imagine if you're really rich and Italian at this point, this is way better than going to like a Silvio Berlusconi bunga bunga party.
3: Where it's like, oh,
1: at least this one there's good conversation.
3: Yeah, there you go. So. Uh, so Briatore would play a famous record producer with connections to lots of Italian pop stars oh, and just I given like his it. looks, yeah, he could totally yeah, believe pull that it. off. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, at some point in the middle of the party, maybe a lull in conversation, someone would pipe up with, I just got the most wild idea. How about a game of cards? And of course everyone would be like, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love cards. Uh, and if, and if the, uh, if the mark didn't go for it, the pressure would just keep ratcheting it up. Like, come on, what kind of a you know, anti-Italian person, are you? You don't play cards? (laughs) (laughs) So eventually they got them into the game. The game is fixed in multiple ways. They used rigged card dealing devices, like a the things that that they use to distribute the cards.
1: Yeah, like the shoe. Okay, not the shoe, but the actual...
3: It's called like a Sabot or a Sabo. Okay, okay, yes, the dealing machine. Uh, Yeah, they used special lacquer on the cards that told them what card was what. Oh, wow, like if you wore glasses, you'd be able to see something on the back of the card? Yeah, or maybe like bumps on the card. Okay, Uh, okay. And then plus, they wouldn't have the same person just run the table all night. That would be kind of amateurish. Yeah. They would have uh, different people win, and at the end, after the guy left, they would split the take. Ah, nice. So multiple shills sitting at the table with the mark. Yeah, and I think this is what's referred to as the salami move, where you steal a large sum of money by splitting it up into lots of tiny slices.
1: Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it's called. And it's very Italian. (laughs)
3: There you go. So they're so good at this that sometimes Marks would get cleaned out and then asked to come back and play again. Can you imagine? (laughs) They want to get their money. Give
1: me another shot of my cash.
3: (laughs) Eventually, they get caught. They get brought to trial. They get convicted. This is all going on between, say, like 1984 and 1987. Okay. Briatore gets 4.5 years in prison between 20 charges relating to this scam and then the the previous fraudulent bankruptcy charges that have been brewing all this time.
1: Okay, okay.
3: Those are still over his head. Damn, 20 yeah. charges. Whew. But those get knocked down to 14 months on appeal. Okay. A little better. So he's facing over a year of jail time, and he's not a guy who believes in things like putting in work or doing time. So what do you think he did, Zarin? I'm guessing he goes on the run. You are correct. Yeah. I love Flavio this game. Flavio hops on a plane <laughs> And heads to the Virgin Islands, lovely St. Thomas. Oh, very loose extradiction treaties. Yes, good call. So let's let a series of ads be our invisible plane as we join him <laughs> on a spiritual journey of our own, right? All right. We'll see you in two and two.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please.
1: Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime. It also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's
0: no safe like Simply Safe. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast.
3: Zaren, take the cucumber yeah. slices out of your eyes. Put down the oh. coconut.
1: Sorry, I was just trying to rest for a second. I didn't realize I was fast. Two and two. You said two and two. I should have guessed. <sighs>
3: Look alive. We're back.
1: Yes, okay. I'm ready.
3: Oh, okay. Let's do this. So where were we? Flavio Briatore, head of a bunco crew and a recognized business fraud specialist, was sentenced to 14 months in prison. And instead of surrendering to the state, he had hightailed it for the beach.
1: Yeah. So he's on, his, on the run to Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands.
3: Yeah, like, can he just do that? Like, can anyone just do that? How do you think this all shook out? Uh, I'm depend. It depends on how much
1: money he has as, like, like you know, get free money. Like, he's going to need to bribe a lot of people, and then he's also going to need to not have so much on him that he looks like uh, somebody just to hit and kill. You know, he's got to be
3: on that real sweet spot of having just the right amount of money. Yeah, so looking at the history books, it seems easier than that. Like, it turns out, yeah, yeah, he can get- do all this. Totally. Uh Eventually, he's granted amnesty and allowed to return to Europe as a free man. Oh, he had plenty of get-free money then. (laughs) And eventually, eventually, as of 2010, he was cleared of any residual responsibility, or as the courts in Turin said, he was ordered rehabilitated, resulting in the extinction of, quote, of any criminal effect of the conviction. Oh wow, he has like fu money then. That that is scot free, scot free. Yes, wow. But he wasn't sitting idly on a beach in St. Thomas. Well, maybe he was, but his money, Zarin, his money was working hard on his behalf. What was his money doing, David? You see, by 1989, there were 800 Benetton franchise stores in the U.S., (gasps) and as the head of U.S. franchising, Mister Flavio Briatore owned a piece of every one of them. Oh my God. So, at this point, he's as good as made, thanks to his old pal Luciano Benetton, and now he's swimming in cash, yes, oh
1: my God, dude, he's
3: he almost had to be a billionaire by then. There were so many Benetton stores in the u s that the franchisees started to complain about the competition from other Benetton stores I bet I bet and I mean, they, that... they, heavy saturation. I remember the eighties, yeah uh it's like it's like all the Starbucks jokes about like Starbucks opens a starbucks in the in the restroom of another Starbucks, <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that's going on around that time is the health of the brand and the business actually took a dive so like by the end of the 80s nobody had really was really into Benetton anymore
1: yeah they watered down the brand and they had to rely on that cool like look at all the multicultural people we can put into an ad campaign that's what they are all they were known for
3: yeah uh, which is also kind of interesting like it's the first like really brand that decides they're going to do what you would now call as like woke but it's really like the first oh, multicultural yeah. brand for the u.s that's not u.s centric
1: totally united colors of benetton was actually a really important moment in like if you want to talk about like the progress of diversity and the the inclusion of lots of different ideas of what beauty is all of a sudden that was the first time it wasn't just like you know this the 1970s and early 80s type of
3: like feathered hair white blonde models and it's like helping to lead american teens out of thinking that like it's all about us, America is the best. Yes, it was like, totally. oh no, there are other great places too, and other great people all over the world. Totally, we we became an, a more internationally minded people thanks to Benetton. No lie. So so yeah, so we got that. Flavio had what he wanted. He was loaded, and he's looking mm-hmm. for his next opportunity. Totally, everyone else is doing the work for him. Yeah. So in 1989, uh, when you know you, he's now 800 franchise stores strong. Luciano Benetton says, like, hey, you did great with that. Why don't you be the head of merchandising for our Formula One team? Who? Shortly thereafter, he's made team principal. So,
1: I knew he had Formula One energy. He totally has
3: Formula One energy. Yeah. Well, so, like, he goes from, like, I'm, I'm designing and selling the hats to running the entire freaking team. So, to be clear... <laughs> This is a guy who knew absolutely nothing about cars and racing and the technology under the hood (laughs) and wore that proudly. And he's now in charge of a very expensive team in one of the biggest sports in the world.
1: Wow. This is why it's it's like... It's crazy. Like, when you have like rich people, they make some of the dumbest decisions. Like, there, I was just seeing something recently about the money that was spent in the UK on COVID tracking, and it went through like this list of peerage. It was like, oh, this person who ran this racehorse company. Like, It was nobody who was, like, There were, no one was qualified. It was just, who did you know? And then they were like,
3: why don't you run this thing that's super important? I just it always money blows me away. Flowing. Yeah. Yes. Just like money flowing out of taps. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's like if Ted Lasso was an extremely cool, extremely rich Italian guy with great hair and no folksy homespun wisdom and <laughs> believes in making money the easy way, not through hard work and perseverance, and a guy who dated Heidi Klum had kids with her, dated Naomi Campbell and married supermodels, then it would be like Ted Lasso. Okay, there you go. <laughs> now please. let me stop here. <laughs> please. There, yes. What do you know about Formula One? Are you into it or do you know anyone who's really into it? Uh, I used to be
1: really into it. Uh, like, there was like I'm big into open wheel racing and I and I liked it a lot, but then somewhere like you know as I became an adult like I just didn't have the time to follow it so like devotedly okay. and then i kind of fell away and so it's much like hockey for me now where i have a strong feeling about the sport but i could i probably don't know any of the best racers or any of the best hockey players but if you sit me down and have me watch a race or watch a hockey game i'm gonna be fully into it and want to know who's doing what and i'm like oh who's that guy because so
3: i still love the sport but i've checked out for a while so is it i did a little research because i don't know anything about formula one is it like what uh, what uh draws you to it is it like the the strategy and the storylines well it's the opposite of nascar for me in a lot of ways nascar there's a lot of
1: like strategy about position and like speed on turns and coming out of turns whereas formula one it's i find uh, much more of a dance between the drivers i mean not, nascar is that too don't get me wrong and I, maybe that's not the best comparison but it is like much more akin to flying and air races for me where mm. it's it's like you're moving through space through and not just uh, like on the track, but you know your float as well. Like so, coming over a rise or whatever, so you're moving in, in like a four dimensional race. Like you have time, you have space, and you're doing all this. So these guys are managing all this stuff, but then also. It's they're so fast, it's the gutsiness of it. I love that these guys, I mean, they're making decisions that you know, it'll take hundreds of feet, but before they could like see the result of that decision, or they're having wow. to anticipate hundreds of feet ahead of them, you know, like that's okay. amazing to me. So imagine being imagine doing something that is split second timing, but the split second is over hundreds of feet you know, or you know, thousands of feet, in, in some
3: instances, so that's thank you. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Like, I totally get it now. So just for the, for the rude dudes, uh, let me give you a few stats just to give you a sense of just how popular Formula One is around the world. Mm-hmm. Take like the last season of Game of Thrones averaged 44 million people watching every episode, okay? The 2023 Super Bowl was watched by 56 million people globally. The cumulative TV audience for the 2022 Formula One season was 1.54 billion. And the average viewership for each race was 70 million. Yeah, that's
1: yeah, it's, F1. It's huge. It's, it's the biggest sport in the world. There's a reason for that. It's the most impressive in terms of, like, what people think about sports with winning and tradition and stories and brave performances. But then you add in all the engineering and then you add in all the technical innovations. Then you add in just the, like, the fact you can die so easily. I mean, like, you're not dying on a baseball field usually. You're not dying
3: on, a, like, on a football field. It's like, these guys can die every race. So, back to Flavio, right? He's mm-hmm. now head of, of the Team Benetton. He had some successes early on. He is the one who brought in a driver whose name you might recognize, Michael Schumacher. Oh, my God. One of the greatest ever, other than, like, Arrington Senna. So, he brings him in in 1991. For someone who doesn't know Formula One, can you compare Schumacher's rep to another athlete? Like, J- maybe the Intimidator, Dale Earnhardt?
1: Yeah, for racing, Intimidator Dale Arnard's a good one. For the competitiveness, like the steeliness of Jordan. I mean, just okay. that single-minded, I'm going to
3: beat you and I'm going to like it. So, yeah, this is Flavio's guy. Schumacher won a bunch of races and two driver's championships under Flavio in the early 90s. Nice. And as much as it brought laurels, this also brought some scrutiny to the Benetton team. Because remember, this is a sport that's all about fiddling with really small things to get as many advantages as you can. Totally. In this case, there was suspicion that Benetton was messing with the fuel tank filters. Oh. So in 1994, the Benetton team was caught removing what's called the anti-fire filter. Uh-huh. This is a filter that prevents the engine from catching fire from getting too much fuel all at once. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, getting rid of that there filter, now you just got yourself a much faster fuel feed, which means a faster car. So everybody yeah. wanted to do it. Totally. How did the Formula One officials know something was up? Well, during a pit stop, a Benetton car caught fire. That was a pretty strong (laughs) clue. (laughs) And this is an outrage. Are they going to get away with this? How are they going to get away with this? So at the hearing, Flavio Briatore employed what we in the litigation business call the Cranberries defense. Ooh, what is the Cranberries defense? The pop group The Cranberries came out with an album in 1993 titled Everybody Else is Doing It, So Why Can't We? (laughs) Yes. Flavio B. claimed that the entire field had also removed their anti-fire filters. And also, he threw in for good measure that, oh, it's really the fault of the fuel tank manufacturer. I don't know if that was like a forbidden fruit thing or what. But that was enough. That was enough for the Formula One organization to find Flavio and the Benetton team guilty, but with no punishment levied at all. Huh. Wow. Which starts to be kind of a pattern for Flavio. I'm noticing. That same year, Benetton was also found guilty of hiding an illegal traction control system in one of their cars. And he admitted it existed. Uh, <laughs> when, when they asked for the specs, this is like the governing board of, of the Formula One, they asked him for the specs and he said, eh, I asked the manufacturer for it, but they said it was proprietary so they wouldn't have given it to me. <laughs> Can't blame me. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, again, he's found guilty, but he's not punished. So in 1996, he loses his golden uh, his goose with the golden egg. Schumacher leaves Benetton for Ferrari and yep, shortly good. thereafter in 97... Flavio's fired from the Benetton racing team. They're like, um, of course, you're not producing anymore. <laughs> yeah, it also,
1: if you lose Schumacher, and, and when, when when he went to Ferrari, he becomes known as for this Ferrari. Most people, if you ask him who who does Schumacher drive
3: for, it's going to be Ferrari. So you lost not only the golden goose, but the legacy and everything. So, Oof. but that was just the beginning, Aaron, of the deep flaming crater like impact he would have on the sport. Oh really. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, let me give you a quote to give you a little sense. Please. Opining after the next stretch of Flavio's Formula One career, which we're going to talk about now, Richard Williams in the Guardian wrote, quote, "Formula One had never seen anything like Flavio Briatore, with his almost buffoonishly exaggerated version of the typical Italian playboy's bella figura, mm-hmm. and his self-proclaimed total ignorance of anything to do with the history of the workings of Grand Prix racing. <laughs> he could hardly have presented more of a contrast with the unglamorous collection of enthusiasts." many of them former drivers or engineers who ran the sport and its teams before his arrival in their midst 20 years ago. Hmm. Now, Flavio stuck around after being fired from Benetton working for Renault, heading up the group that supplied engines for other teams. Are you kidding me? That's right. He also managed some drivers individually who were so drawn to his cult of personality that they're like, oh yeah, make me Michael Schumacher. Sure. Now, in a stroke of luck, Renault bought the Benetton team in 2000 and installed our man Flavio back at the lead again. Are
1: you kidding
3: me? That's (laughs) right.
1: The Arnault family's insane.
3: What the (laughs) hell? Okay, fine. Go on. There's one more minor bump in the road. Sure. Flavio got caught up in a scandal called Spygate in 2007. This related to Renault, under Flavio, getting information about a rival driver's car illegally. Now, if you've been paying attention at all over the last eight hours, I mean 30 minutes or so, you (laughs) know what comes next, Right. Oh, yes. To be fair, he was only tangentially involved with this one. But yes, he was found culpable but not punished. It's good to be rich. Seriously.
1: It's the best way to be.
3: Okay. So now we're in 2008, heading into the Singapore Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Team Flavio has hit a dry spell. They haven't won a race in two years. Renault is so down on the whole thing, they are thinking about pulling out of Formula One. Oh, damn. Imagine the feels from Flavio, right? I'm a winner. I'm only about winning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> to quote the great philosopher-poet Louis Mario Fries, I ain't going out like that I ain't going out like that <laughs> Yes It's be real <laughs> I ain't going out Now Zarin, let me see if I can put all of this in front of you Please You're a very rich, very famous clothing magnate With supermodels on your arm at all times Ah, Yes You've been found guilty in multiple criminal and civil courts and private organizations, but you've never really been punished. Ah, uh, yes. You've been caught bending the rules so hard they crumble in your manicured hands on more than two occasions. Like I said, it's the best life. <laughs> and now the team you run may close up shop if you don't win soon. But what, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? Do you pick up what I'm putting down here?
1: Oh, yeah. I think I'm going to run. That's my guess.
3: Okay. Well, wait. Zarin. Yes. beep boop boop beep pick up the phone? Oh, hello. Hello. Hey, Zaren, is this a good time? Um, actually, I'm recording right now, but go on. Okay, great. Close your eyes. I want you to picture it. Oh,
1: yes. My eyes closed.
3: It's the day before the Singapore Grand Prix. Your name is Giuseppe Irlandese, Irish yeah. Joe from Naples. <laughs> <laughs> Napoli don Giuseppe Irlandese. <laughs> you are a master mechanic who recently transferred from a high-paying desk job at Renault Corporate to work with the Formula One team. This is the thrill of a lifetime for you. Your mechanic skills are a bit rusty, (laughs) as you've been more of a spreadsheet jockey for the last eight years. You can't wait to be baptized by Formula One engine grease. Your coveralls are pristine. Your wife brought you a brand new set of tools, and your mom, who you and your wife and your two children still live with, packed you a lunch (laughs) with a special slice of Panettone, the good kind, wrapped up with a bow. Nice. You see, Zaren, you're what the Italians call a mamone, a mama's boy. <laughs> sounds you're better looking than Italian. Forward to your, what was that? <laughs> it sounds better than Italian. <laughs> you're looking forward to your afternoon break when you can go home, hug your wife and kids, kiss your mom on the forehead, then quickly pay a visit to your mistress before heading back to work. <laughs> Zaren, you have an engine deconstructed on a table in front of you. You're uh-huh. lazily fitting various pieces together, trying to look busy. There's no food or drink allowed in the engine staging area, but you take the occasional surreptitious swig from an Erlenmeyer flask filled with Barolo that you have mm. hidden under the shelf, under the table. Yes, molto There's a large plate glass window separating the executive offices from the shop floor. Sometimes they have the blinds drawn, but today they're open. You can't hear anything but muffled sounds, but you can see everything going on in there. Your hero, Flavio Briatore, has been in there all morning, sipping espresso, chain-smoking unfiltered Lucky Strikes, and flipping through the Gazzetta dello Sport, the pink newspaper. You see Renault chief engineer Pat Simons dressed in his gleaming white coveralls with his name embroidered about the pocket. It's like a chef's coat. He opens the door to the executive office and takes a seat on the stylish yellow leather sofa in front of Flavio. Pat Simons' hands are holding his hair back as he leans over avoiding eye contact, and he has a pained expression, sort of a grimace on his face. Flavio looks completely calm, as he puts the pink newspaper down, it almost looks like he has a smile forming out of the corners of his mouth. You see him pick up a landscape sheet of paper. Maybe it's a root map, it's hard to tell. Simons doesn't look up. You see Flavio clap once, and this startles Simons. He snaps to attention. Now he's looking at the sheet of paper too. Flavio points with his dangling cigarette to one spot. Simons shakes his head no. He raises his eyebrows and points to another place. Simons holds up his hands, palms to the sky, In the classic expression we Americans understand as meh or maybe, but to Italians, this means (laughs) boh. Flavio claps again. This time it's an excited clap. But wait, Flavio's looking around self-consciously. He shoots a glance in your direction. You're worried. Did he notice you staring at them all this time? You swallow hard and quickly avert your eyes, reaching for a ratchet and going to work on any engine bolt you can find, (laughs) as if it's the most important bolt in the world. Now, to your right, you see one of the team's superstar drivers, Nelson Piquet Jr., stride by you and head for the executive office. In his eyes, you see fear and anxiety. You can't help but let your eyes wander back to the big plate glass window, but as the driver reaches the door, the Venetian blinds drop. Show's over. Now, what you just witnessed was the leaders of the Renault racing team asking one of their top drivers to strategically crash his car and throw the race, to make sure their other driver, Fernando Alonso, can win. Oh,
1: damn.
3: Now, Zarin, when we get back, I'll tell you all about Crashgate, the biggest scandal in Formula One history, and how it went down.
1: Oh, yes.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast...
2: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
3: Zarin, we're back. Hey, look at us. Now, when we left off, we were about to get into Flavio Briatore's biggest jack move of all time, Crash Gates. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to this. Here's what we know so far. Flavio is very rich, very cool looking, very morally (laughs) bankrupt Italian businessman, right? He made a fortune franchising Benetton stores after fleecing the rich in Italy by a series of rigged card games. (laughs) He's been convicted in court and by private organizations, but never actually punished. Now he's in his second stint running a Formula One racing team. His current team is Renault, but it was formed from the ashes of his previous racing team, Benetton. Yes, Team Renault had hit on hard times and desperately needed a win to stay relevant. The day before the Singapore Grand Prix, Flavio and the chief engineer convinced one of their drivers, Nelson Piquet Jr., to deliberately crash his car during the race to give Fernando Alonso the win. Alonso is also managed by the same two guys. Mm -hmm. Later, according to Piquet Jr., quote, Simons took me aside to a quiet corner and, using a map, pointed me to the exact corner on the track where I should crash. Because, quote, it did not have any cranes that would allow a damaged car to be swiftly lifted off the track, nor did it have any side entrances to the track, end quote, which would allow a damaged car to be rolled off the track. Crashing where Simons indicated, quote, would thus necessitate the deployment of a safety car. Hmm. Alonzo, the other driver, wasn't in on any of this and had no idea what was going on around him, giving him plausible deniability. Oh, that's nice. Brilliant. Smart. And this is all likely to work out because... Um, I didn't know this. Maybe you know this. The Singapore track is known to be very, very narrow. Mm -hmm. And in that kind of an environment, kind of like NASCAR, your position before the race means everything. The whole race is kind of bottled up. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to make major moves against the field. Yeah, I could totally see that. So one thing that has to happen for all this to work is PK has to agree to do his part. Mm-hmm. Flavio had this in the bag because he'd been working PK for months. He told him his contract was up in the air, and he may or may not bring him back. He also repeatedly pressured PK to extend his option, which is what keeps him from talking to other teams while his status is up in the air.
1: Oh, he kept him on a short leash.
3: Yeah, and he's got him totally tenderized by the time he makes this big request. So now it's race day. It's September twenty eighth, two thousand eight. I thought about making this the picture it, but. We've done really cool car races before, and I didn't want to just kind of be swimming in your wake, so that's why I kind of pushed it earlier. Okay. <laughs> but I'll tell uh, you about it. Please. So, Piquet starts the race in 16th place. He crashes right where he's supposed to, at the 17th turn on the 14th lap. Oh. He basically, oh. the way he does it is, like, he presses hard on the throttle during a right-left turn. Uh-huh. He deliberately causes his car to drift out underneath him, and he just keeps feeding it gas. So, it just drifts and, then, and hits, hits the wall. Okay. And there's no crane nearby, so the only way to clear the track is to call out the safety car, which basically slows the race at that point. And he didn't crash into anybody
1: else. He didn't risk anybody else in his crash.
3: That's right. Just the wall. Yeah, perfect. Now, there's one other wrinkle that made this whole thing work, which is that the other driver, Fernando Alonso, he had taken a pit stop two laps prior, and he was the only leading driver in the field who had taken a pit stop at that point in the race. Oh, so it's timed perfectly. Yeah, so after the stop, after the safety stop, Uh He's the only one who doesn't need a pit stop. He's done. Yeah, Huge, huge advantage. Huge advantage. So he had started the race, Alonso, in 15th place, just ahead of Piquet. He ends up winning the race. And the guy who was leading at the time of the crash, who was a driver named Felipe Massa, he finished 13th. Ooh. At the time afterwards, Piquet is telling everyone, oh, it was an honest mistake. I just screwed up. Now, this was a huge deal in Formula One. Yeah. At the end of the year... Felipe Massa was almost the champion. He fell short of the championship by a single point. And if he had won Singapore, which he should have, he would have easily won the championship. Oh, my God. I would have been furious if I was him. Right? So Alonso's ill-gotten victory was all probably going to hold until Flavio made one real dumbass mistake. He fired Piquet from the Renault Racing team in July 2009. No, you can't fire your bag, man. After all he had done for the team. Yes. Piquet was a little upset. (laughs) Of course. So after his firing, he wrote, quote, As a beginner in F1, I could only expect from my team a lot of support and preparation to help me in getting up to the task. Instead, I was relegated as someone who drives the other car with no attention at all. In addition, on numerous occasions, 15 minutes before qualifying in races, my manager and team boss, who's Briatore, would threaten me telling me if I didn't get a good result, he had another driver ready to put in my place. A manager is supposed to encourage you, support you, and provide you with opportunities. In my case, it was the opposite. Flavio Briatore was my executioner. Oof. But that's Ah. not all he did, Zaren. Behind the scenes, he's singing like a canary to the Formula One governing body.
1: Yes, you know I'm not normally for snitches, but
3: snitch on, brother. I mean, can you imagine, like, this is Italy, home of the famous organization that tends not to take chances when it comes to even innocent eyewitnesses who could later cause problems.
1: I'm surprised he's breathing. I mean, honestly, based on what happened to Pretori's first boss back in the day when he first started out and now he's like, oh, everything, he just happened to die. Like, I'm surprised that if you're going to ask a driver to do this, now they know too much. And we know what happens when you know too much. You either get paid off or you get, you know, pushed off.
3: Yeah. Like, don't fire him. Make him a king for life. Like, you've yes, got the money. Just set exactly. him up. Exactly. Just let him yeah, have a career forever. And then he will be as complicit. He can't ever speak against you because it speaks against everything he has. Totally. So, the Formula One governing body gave Piquet immunity for his cooperation and testimony. Initially, Briatore and Simons denied everything. They even tried to blame Piquet for the idea, which is just a absolute would- <laughs> jerk move. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eventually, the parent company, Renault, came over the top and accepted responsibility. They said they wouldn't contest the charges, and they said they had accepted the resignations of Briatore and Simons. Hmm. Formula One turns around and bans Briatore for life and also refused to license any drivers he had been involved with. Uh, Renault, the team, gets banned for two years. But that wasn't the end of the controversy. Briatore, being such a proud, you know, fare la bella figura guy, he maintains his innocence, and he says he only resigned for the good of the team. So after, after getting the Formula One death penalty, he says, quote, I've been betrayed by my own world. In the end, I will win, and you'll see. We'll have a great party. Oh, God. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> the most Italian answer ever. Now, did he get next get involved in FIFA? I mean, like, what's he going to do next? Wait, let me go on. So we'll have a great party. It will be organized well, and we'll invite all those people who have stayed close to me during these tough times. I feel like it's like the spirit of Rodney Dangerfield, basically. Yes, totally. So sure enough, Flavio appealed the ruling to a French court. Uh Not only did he ask for the Formula One ruling to be overturned, he also asked for a million euros in damages. Oh, his reputation's been besmirched, of course. (sighs) He declares the penalty against him, quote, a legal absurdity and said the (laughs) FIA had made a, quote, break of the rules of natural justice. (laughs) At least he wasn't getting grand with it. Now, Zarin, I'll give you one guess as to how this all turned out for him. Um, He
1: gets reinstated and is now the head of F1. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty
3: close. The French courts order the ruling reversed. Oh, my God. They award Flavio not the whole 1 million euros, but a much smaller sum of 15,000 euros for his troubles. Oh, my God. There's no word on whether the victory party he threw was actually well organized. But he did say, quote, I'm calm. I did my duty as chief commander of a ship that was risking sinking by resigning. I took moral responsibility for the scandal, but the real story is yet to be written. However, the verdict has given me freedom and pride, and that's fine.
1: Oh, he is good at talking.
3: You can, you can it, hear. It? Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. this guy's going to be charming. And if he has tousled <laughs> hair, too, forget about it. Now, the Formula One Association, obviously, they're looking at this, and they're like, eh, okay, you've, you've kind of uh, gone over our heads. Yeah. So they decide to settle with Briatore and Simons they do ban them from the big competitions for a few years and also from minor competitions for a couple of years. They said the two men had accepted responsibility, but if you look at what Flavio was saying at the time, not really, I've got another quote. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although he may have formally accepted responsibility, he posted this statement on the formula one website. He had said, you know, I accept quote, without any admission of a personal guilt in these events, and without any recognition of the fact that the decision of the World Council rendered against him would have been well-founded. I accept that people have said I'm guilty. Yeah, <laughs> That's what he, I accept <laughs> that you told me to say the word I accept. Exactly. <laughs> At that point, I guess, he had had enough of Formula One, and even mm-hmm. though his lifetime ban was lifted, he ended that chapter of his criming. Okay. And there's more, of course, lots more. But... Zaren, I'll leave you with a couple of his recent and current business ventures. Okay, please. After Crashgate, he started his own menswear label, Billionaire Couture. <laughs> oh, my God. Which sold jeans with real gold buttons. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned FIFA earlier. He did actually own the Queens Park Rangers for a little while. Of course. You know, a, a very well-respected team. Ran it into the ground. Ultimately was, was forced to sell it.
1: Yeah, a character um, like that is going to be drawn to FIFA like Moth to Flame.
3: Oh, yeah. They're, yeah, it's made for him. He also bought a super yacht. Of course. Oh, yeah. Another thing. Moth, Flame, super yacht. Totally is the move. It was eventually seized for tax evasion. <laughs> it, was, it was sold to Bernie Ecclestone in an assets auction who's come up in the Tony Tetro episode. Yes, I was just
1: about to say Elizabeth's Tony Tetro episode. Right. I, this
3: Ecclestone guy, we need to do something on him. And these guys were tight. Like, oh. Bernie Ecclestone and and uh, and Bri- Briatore were friends to the end. Oh, we're coming for you, Ecclestone. Yeah, there's more, because he was also a—he uh, was a co-owner in the Queens Park Rangers. Yeah, see, I'm, I am I detect a taint on this guy. <laughs> yeah, even in researching this one, uh, uh, Marissa uncovered a lot of stuff that's happened in the last two years to that guy. Huh, okay, there we go. Of course, a few years later, that conviction for tax evasion with the super yacht overturned on appeal. <laughs> I want his lawyers or his Guy's money. Never, one of the two. Just never gotten his comeuppance. <laughs> no. And now he runs a company called Majestas or Majestas, M-A-J-E-S-T-A-S. Mm-hmm. Well, you know why he's getting away with all this? If he would have robbed
1: the equivalent of like Walgreens, then he would be in behind bars. <laughs> but, you know, because
3: he's doing all this, it's like, well, come on. Ripping off a the lot guy. of rich people, ripping yeah. off a lot of, yeah. Uh, the, the mission statement of Majestas is, quote, globally known for iconic, top-performing experiences in fine dining, elite entertainment, and luxury hospitality. It includes four, quote, billionaire locations, which are high-end clubs, slash theaters in oh Sardinia, gosh. Dubai, Monte Carlo, and Riyadh. Ah, <laughs> like, I was guessing Hong Kong. The, yeah, picking the arms arms traders' hotspots. Totally. <laughs> and, and then he's got... Twiga Beach Resorts in Italy, London, Monte Carlo, and Doha for good measure.
1: Okay, Doha, I going to guess Ibiza,
3: one of the two. <laughs> he also owns the Crazy Pizza brand, which has locations in Italy, England, Monaco, and the Middle East. Uh, called Crazy, maybe because the crust doesn't have any yeast in it. It's hard to know. Oh. Maybe okay. it's just crazy because, like, I'm a pretty crazy guy and this yeah, is my pizza.
1: Hey, it's, it's crazy.
3: So, Zaren, yes. what's your ridiculous takeaway?
1: Oh, dude, you've just given me another reminder. One, you made me want to go back and start paying attention to F1. So good on you about that. You reawakened my love for the speed. But two, and I always tell people in my family this when they're like telling me something like, oh, did you see such and such was in the news? They're going to get this person. I'm like, how rich is he? They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, Look, just tell me how rich is this person and I can tell you the likelihood that we're going to get justice in this case. And they're like, well, he's said, I'm like, okay, no justice. He's too rich. There is this constant thing and I wish it bothered more people, but it's, you know, it's, it just becomes like something that makes people kind of jaundiced to the idea of justice. But... We allow and we know that rich people are going to get away with this stuff, and then they do, and then we're like, "Well, that's how it goes." So that way, when you're getting bribed, the person getting bribed feels lucky. They're like, "Oh, I'm in the right spot to be getting bribed because he's going to bribe somebody. <laughs> I just happen to be the one." You know, it's, it's, that's what seems ridiculous to me. So there you go. We know rich people are going to do it, and they still get away with it all the time because everybody is. I even I joked, "Oh, it's the best life they have." The just being able to kind of like, you know, paper over your mistakes or able to, like, lay down a bunch of ball bearings over rough ground. That's what that type of money is. And then we joke that it's F-you money, but it's more than that. It's also F-me money. Do what I
3: want, you know? <laughs> and it's F-1 money.
1: Exactly.
3: It's <laughs> <laughs> well-played F-1 money. <laughs> What's your ridiculous takeaway, Dave? Very well said. I don't know how much more I can add to that other than by saying, you know, this proves that people tell you crime doesn't pay. Crime pays. Oh, yeah, It absolutely it pays. And this no. guy, like... Like you said, he telegraphed it from the beginning. He's yeah. like, I don't want to work. I want to make a lot of money. And I don't care about breaking rules, breaking laws, breaking morals, whatever. I'm just going to go through life, you know, yeah. making the money I want to make, taking it. I think that
1: they, we should restate that old saying. Instead of saying crime doesn't pay, getting caught doesn't pay. <laughs> I think that's what it is. You got it. That's it. That's yeah, my story. That's Great one.
3: Thank you for sharing that one. Elizabeth missed a dope one. So thank <sighs> you, D. Thank you. You can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on Twitter, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. You can email us at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. We have a website, which honestly needs more attention, at RidiculousCrime.com. I think we have mugs for sale right now. Sometimes we have limited run t-shirts. You can also talk at us by downloading the iHeart app and using the talk back feature to leave us a 30-second message. As always, thank you for listening, and don't do anything Zarin wouldn't do. <laughs> Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Zarin Ilre Deliorci Burnett and Elizabeth Kikozafai Dutton and hosted, produced, and edited by Dave Giovanotti Kustin. Research is by Marissa Maquet Brown and Andrea Putropo Song Charpentier. Our theme song is by Thomas Alora Lee and Travis Michael Jackson Dutton. <laughs> Host wardrobe provided by Billionaire Couture. Executive producers are Ben. Leanke, se fosse l'ultimo uomo sulla terra, Bolin. And no, il sole siciliano le ha colto il cervello, Brown. Ridiculous
2: Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime
0: is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app.
2: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
0: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products.
2: 18 plus.